Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Hello and welcome to What Goes Up, a weekly markets podcast. My name is Mike Regan. I'm a senior editor at Bloomberg. And I'm Valdana Hayek, a cross-asset reporter with Bloomberg. And this week on the show, well, we've got some bad news for you. Or, hmm, come to think of it, maybe it's actually good news. It's hard to tell these days if you have your eyes on the market, since we're back in an upside-down world where strong economic reports can cause stocks to drop on concerns that they will make the Federal Reserve maintain its aggressive efforts to tame inflation through interest rate increases. But it's definitely good news that we have a global market strategist at a major firm here to help unpack it all for us. But first, Voltana, before we get to the guest, I have to ask, how was your trip to London? It was really fun. And I want to thank all of the cross-asset reporters and editors over in London who were so, so nice to me and welcomed me. And we went out for drinks and had a really good time. Oh, that's good. Did did uh did they all join your professional network on LinkedIn? Yeah, I'm friends with all of them on LinkedIn. Yeah. All of them, really. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah you've got quite a following on LinkedIn. Yeah, I think uh it's a small, tight, tight knit group of maybe like three thousand people or so, I would say. Yeah. yeah. Yet I am not yet up to snuff <laughs> to, to join your professional network on LinkedIn. Yeah, them. that's Is that right. correct. <laughs> yes. Me, the one who's edited how many of your stories hundreds, brought you in as a hundreds. podcast guest. Yeah, I'm did. not even a big LinkedIn guy. I can't even believe I actually, I'm going to rescind my request to be in your professional network on LinkedIn. I wasn't going to. Because I think, I'm not even sure I did it on purpose. I think it was like a butt dial request. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure. I'm rarely on LinkedIn. I feel like if you're on LinkedIn, you're looking for a job. I don't want my employers to think I'm out there looking for a job. 
And somehow the fact that I'm not in your professional network on LinkedIn, I know you think it probably bothers me. It does not <laughs> bother me. I'm going to rescind my request to join your professional. I don't I'm want to sure be in your professional network on LinkedIn. Yeah, no. And you're not welcome in it, to be honest, because if for listeners who aren't familiar with this, Mike tweeted about this. He he called me out. I hadn't accepted his friend. Is it a friend request? I don't know. A, a, it's, well, it's what do they call it on LinkedIn? It's a request to be a member of your I'll, professional yes, network. Exactly. And, yes, exactly. And I didn't accept it. And you know what? Now that you called me out, I'm not going to do it. I, I, I'm, dumbf- I'm dumbfounded by this. <laughs> I am dumbfounded by this. I will get my revenge on this somehow. <laughs> you will find out. I imagine our, this week's guest is a member of your professional network. Oh, yeah, for sure. No, we've of been course, friends for yeah. a really long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but I do, I do want to bring, bring him in. It's Anthony Saglin-Benny. He's the global market strategist at Ameriprise Financial. Anthony, welcome to the show. Welcome to the podcast and welcome to my, uh, my LinkedIn network. Yeah, th- thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, like Mike, my my LinkedIn network is not nearly as big as yours. So for somebody who says they're not, they don't know what to do on LinkedIn. It's a little, um, it's a little suspicious, Anthony, isn't it? It's a little suspicious. <laughs> Keep calling me out. I'm just going to rescind all. I'm going to decline all of those. Yeah, yeah. But uh, Anthony, maybe just to start, uh, you can you sent us a couple notes right before we started the podcast, and you said that we are entering a good news is bad news market, and I wanted to ask you why that is, and if you could just sort of lay that out for us. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think over the last couple of weeks, the markets have really kind of settled into this idea um, of of a you know are we headed for a recession, and then b is it going to be prompted by the Fed raising interest rates too aggressively? And so what I mean by a good news is bad news type of of market environment is the hotter that economic news comes in versus expectations kind of implies that maybe the Fed will need to continue to raise interest rates more aggressively. And so you saw saw a little bit of that in the reaction on the May employment report on Friday, where you know we created 390,000 jobs in May, unemployment rate held steady at 3.6% uh, for, for the third straight month. By all accounts, the employment backdrop is, is very strong. Um, but on top of that, those numbers came in above the 323,000 uh, that was expected and the markets declined because the, the idea is, is that as long as the labor market remains strong, as long as economic activity is moving above what I think consensus anal- estimates are, it it implies that the Fed may have to raise interest rates more aggressively. And so I think as we move through the couple, the next couple of weeks and couple months, um, data that comes in hotter than expected, you would expect that the market would greet that more negatively. And then data that comes in a little bit weaker, but not too weak, would be greeted positively uh, that we, we call it this Goldilocks kind of scenario where economic momentum is declining, but not so much that fears of a recession start to set in. I, I think it's a tall order, but um, I think that's where we are in the market environment right now. You know, Anthony, I think the question on a lot of people's minds is, uh, A, there's there's a lot of sort of wishful thinking and, and fingers being crossed all over Wall Street that uh, inflation may have peaked, that we may have seen the worst of it. But it raises the question of, well, what's next? And, you know, how low does it have to go for the Fed to be, um, if not completely done with raising interest rates, at least to your point, be a little less aggressive and maybe switch back to 25 basis point uh, increases? Which some are hoping for uh, maybe in the fall. So I'm wondering how you're thinking about that. Is is a, a slow, steady grind lower in inflation in the cards? Do you think, or and if so, is that is that enough to to cause the Fed uh, to dial it back to to 25 basis point increases? Yeah, uh, you know, I, I think that's it's kind of a loaded question because I think it depends on where you're looking at when you're talking about inflation. So I, our view is that. Yes, inflation has likely peaked. When you look at break-even spreads, um, you look out two or three years, the, the bond market is telling you that that inflation like likely peaked. However, you know, does it really make a difference to a consumer if you know and the CPI number goes from 8.5% in March to say 8.2% in May? Um, inflation is still high. 
prices at the pump and, and food are still high. And those those parts of inflation are likely to linger longer. And so I, I think there will be a gradual decline in inflation. But even if you look at our own estimates, we see CPI kind of ending the year at around 6%. That That's still three times higher than what the Fed wants inflation to be on a longer term basis. So I feel that Inflation likely moderates as supply chains kind of ease. The food and energy is a separate component, and I think that will remain elevated. But as long as wage inflation moves down and some of the core components of inflation move move down, then I think that will give the Fed a little bit of room to start, like you said, incremental moves in, in, the, in the coming meeting, say in September. Uh, and then I think the markets could react a little bit more positively to that because they'll have gotten to neutral by that point. And if they don't have to, or getting close to neutral, and if they don't really have to move past neutral, then I think opportunities are being created in the stock market. If that doesn't look like it's the case, and and maybe we're at seven or seven and a half percent by the end of the year, then then I think the Fed will need to be more aggressive, and they may push into that restrictive zone, which then I think you know makes odds of of further declines in the stock market um, you know greater. I was actually going to ask you about this, about the latter half of the year, because we've been writing a bit about this, where we have a lot of people saying that inflation is peaking and they're looking at some indicators of still good economic data and so on. And they're saying that potentially the second half of the year might be a bit better than, you know, less rough than the first half. So I'm wondering your view on that. Yeah, I think from an economic standpoint, uh, you know, we we write a lot about this as well. I mean, the, the consumer is in good shape. Um, saving rates are high. Um, debt levels are low. They're starting to use revolving credit a little bit more. So that's something that that we're watching. Uh, but but net net, consumers are in good shape. And as long as the labor market remains in good shape, then I, I think you're seeing a shift in in consumer behaviors, not a retrenching in spending, right? They're they're spending less on goods and more on food and energy, maybe a little bit more on services. And as kind of the that that pandemic wave of of, of maybe travel starts to ebb in the summer, um, maybe that starts to come down. So is if inflation pressures can moderate and employers don't retrench and spend uh in hiring and consumers don't retrench in spending, then I I do think that the Fed has a pretty narrow path to start um, maybe slowing the pace of, of increases. And I think the opportunities that have been created in the stock market, because I, I in my view, I think the stock market is pricing in, we're, we're going to see a recession maybe by the end of this year, early next year. If that's not the case, and the Fed can really land this plane and get a softish landing, not a hardish landing, then I think the stock market can recover in the second half of the year. The one thing we haven't talked about is 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 earnings and and that has us a little bit more concerned uh because earnings estimates really really haven't been coming down and um i think there's there's likely based on the last week or or so of of corporate news and, and headlines about warning about earnings i think we're in for a period where analysts are going to need to adjust their earnings and i think the market reaction to that could be a little bit more negative yeah you don't think the the market has gotten priced that in already? Uh, those expectations. I I think it's priced in some of it, yeah. um, not all of it. Yeah. And so, um, I, I you know the the warnings from Target um, and, and and Walmart, and then obviously Microsoft last week. Couple couple stocks about either currency or inventory builds or or changing consumer habits. You would think their stock prices already reflect that, but but they got hammered. And so I think there's there's a larger resetting that needs to go into the market as analysts bring in their earnings expectations. Um, you know, whether it's 50, 60, 75 percent built in the stocks, I don't know. But I do think if we're we're heading into the second quarter earnings season and com- more companies start to warn. I think that could be a little bit of a headwind for for stock prices over the near term, over over the very near term. Well, what do you make of some of the companies that have been coming out with the warnings? Target was a big one. I remember a couple of months ago, and it feels like maybe that was sort of the start of this trend. It was restoration hardware where they had come out with a bunch of warnings. So how are you thinking about what CEOs are telling us and also what some, uh, you know, some of the 
the top brass at banks are telling us. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think it's a, it's a, there's a lot of cross currents coming from companies right now. Um, I think I think some of it is supply chain driven. Um, you know, think about it. If you're if you're a, a retailer and you're you're trying to order goods and you can't get goods on time, you know, are you double ordering? Are you triple ordering? Are you ordering ahead of time to get those in? And then it's not coming in, and then it comes all in at once, and then you you know, and then consumer trends have changed, and now you got a bunch of inventory. So I think some of it is is very specific to supply chains, and then I think some of it is based on changes in demand and reactions to inflation. So, um, you know, with with Russia invading Ukraine, uh, it put what was already a tight oil market into an even tighter market. And so oil prices have have dramatically shifted higher. Food prices have have, uh, dramatically shifted higher. So at least for the, the lower wage earners, they've had to shift more of their spending to those types of items. So there's less money, less discretionary money to spend on goods. And then I think higher income individuals have been shifting their um, their their spending away from things like restoration hardware during the pandemic, where they were buying furniture and, and things for the home. And now they're out traveling. Now they're going on trips like you went to London. Right. I, I went to California recently. I did a lot of ski trips uh, in, in the winter. So I've shifted my own spending in ways that is spending less on goods. So I think we just have to move through some of the supply chain issues, see some normalization and then consumer trends have to normalize. And I think that's what they're doing. Um I just think we have this backdrop of really high energy and food prices that are creating noise and in how investors, how consumers are spending. Um, and I think it's just going to take time to move through that. The, the bottom line is it makes it very challenging for, for companies, particular retailers, to navigate that. And then for some of the financial companies, uh, with some of the earnings uh, warnings that we've seen, you've seen this is not the environment to bring IPOs or no deals or merger and acquisitions, right? So a lot of that investment banking um, is really dried up. And, and so you know a lot of banks have warned about that. Consumer trends are still strong. Banks should still benefit from uh, rising net interest margins. So as rates move higher, they should benefit from that. That's a tailwind. But the headwind is investment banking's down. Trading activity, we'll see what that looks like. And oh, by the way, if we're headed for a recession, if you hear some of the commentary from Jamie Dimon and, you know, is it Superstorm Sandy or is it just like a, a Category 1 hurricane? Um, how we navigate that, how banks get through that uh, will depend. I I think as an investor, this is the time to kind of rein in the horns a little bit, um, be balanced across your portfolios, uh, make sure you're properly diversified. Don't take too much risk on on either end. And I think we'll, you'll, you'll be able to weather the, this volatility. I, I do think, as I said before, there are opportunities being created in the stock market with these declines. Yeah. Yeah. The target story is interesting to me because it's it's sometimes hard to sort of sort out whether or not it's a, you know, execution issue uh, with one retailer, you know, su- supplying the wrong type of goods. You know, we've seen this just in time supply chain uh, notion kind of just blown up uh, over the past year and, and trying to navigate that. So, uh, you know, it's 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 a tough one. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? 
That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers, they're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. But I did want to, uh, Anthony, shift gears a little bit because I know you're a, you're a global strategist and, and you're looking all over the world. And I was struck recently. I looked at sort of uh, you know, on the terminal, uh, the Bloomberg terminal, you can rank developed market uh, equity performance uh, over the year. And it's rare to see the U.S. so low in that sort of league table. You know, I think of 24 developed markets, it was like 22nd or, or 23rd. Um, that's uh, that's kind of shocking to me in a way. You know, you, you would almost think of the U.S. market in, in a risky world of stocks being sort of the, the haven market. But what do you think was behind that? Is it just a matter of the sort of growth to value rotation and the U.S. being way more orient, oriented to, to growth stocks and and you know, a, a minuscule waiting to say energy that is that is the leader this year. Um, how are you thinking about the global equity markets and, and sort of the U.S. role in them and, and where the op- opportunity set is going forward? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I do think you're right that there is a component of um, the U.S. markets being very growth heavy. So very technology, communication services, uh, consumer discretionary, those growth components have really been where um, the stock declines have, have been the greatest this year because as interest rates have reset higher, a lot of these growth companies are priced not on their earnings today, but on their future earnings. And when you discount that back at a higher rate, it means the value of those future earnings are, are less today. And so you've seen a shift. I think a, I think a lot of that has already occurred. I think if if, if I were going to look at growth stocks today and the reset there, there there's obviously potential more downside there. But I, I do think in the U.S. market and growth stocks in particular, a lot of damage has already been done to that area. Um, the other component that sticks out is whether you're looking at it on a dollar or local basis. And so when I look at a lot of the um, a lot of the developed market indexes on a dollar basis, they are pretty similar to, to, to the declines in the U.S., a little bit less so because of the value bias they have. Um, some of the, the international markets have more energy and commodity exposure. That's been a great place to be this year. Those, those stocks are, are benefiting. So there's some tailwinds from uh, both being value exposed internationally uh, with more energy exposure. And then the strength of the dollar uh, has, has kind of, you know, at least on a local currency basis, made those indexes look, look better than what I think they, they really are. At the end of the day, um, I, I kind of hint to your question, the U.S. is in our view, the best place to be when uncertainty is high and volatility is high. And I think the U.S. market from that perspective, outside of the growth component, is acting a little bit more defensively. Um, and I, in our own allocations, we're overweight the U.S., we're underweight uh, Europe because we, we see a, 
we, we see a, a, a higher odds of a recession there. Um, you know, the, the energy prices are crippling a lot of consumers over in Europe right now. And then in Asia, it's been the zero COVID policy around China. So those have been big headwinds for, for those two regions this year. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a great point about the currency adjusted uh, returns. And, you know, the, the flip side of that, um, uh, that strong dollar is obviously a weak euro, but boy, the weak yen has really caught a lot of people's attention yeah. uh, this year. You know, such uh, an important currency uh, as a gauge of risk sentiment, or, or used to be anyway. I, I guess it's going in the other direction now. But what, what what do you make of this yen? You know, have you given much thought to the yen weakness and and any sort of signal that it's sending about um, risk assets and and markets globally? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've I've looked at it over the last couple of days, or or, or more recently. Um, and, and you're right. I mean, you're you're the currencies move for a lot of different reasons and a lot of different, um, and and they can be very volatile. And and I think the U.S. has kind of, the U.S. dollar has kind of come back a little bit uh, versus the yen and versus the euro more recently. And I think it's just a resetting in the dollar. I I I, I, I the strength in the U.S. dollar. Is, is really driven by this expectation that the Fed is going to have to be ultra aggressive. And as we get more economic data over the coming weeks and coming months, I think it might look like they might not have to be as aggressive. So you're going to see the dollar on a trade weighted trade-weighted basis kind of start to move back down. Things like the yen will strengthen a little bit more. The euro will strengthen a little bit more. Um, we'll see if that shows up in the data. Uh, but I think it's just a little bit of normalization over a pretty big move in the dollar versus the yen and euro over the last several weeks. And you mentioned China, and I wanted to ask you about how you're thinking about China, because I've on the podcast and, and broadly speaking, I feel like there's been a lot of discussion about whether or not China is investable versus uninvestable. And I know we've had some developments there this week where it looks like they're being a, li- a little bit more lenient maybe towards some of their tech companies and some other developments around video games and so on. So how are you thinking about China? Yeah, China, China you know, they're the second largest economy. They're, they're, they're significant in a lot of different ways, both for here, us domestically, in terms of what we can produce and, and, and be shipped here, but then just our just our relations with China. So both from a political and economic uh, standpoint, they are very, very important. I think from an economic standpoint right now, the zero COVID policy has, has wreaked a little bit of additional, uh, created additional problems for the global economy, the, the zero COVID policy, shutting down Shanghai and Beijing. Um, you know, Shanghai is a significant port city. And so getting uh, items and goods out of that city have been very, very difficult. Keeping up with production schedules has been very, very difficult for U.S. companies and global companies. And it looks like maybe this month that's going to start to change and they're going to start to open up a little bit more. But it's it's very hard to get confidence in, in the policies because they can change so quickly. And so what, what I think a lot of these U.S. companies are starting to do is how do we think about sourcing? How do we think about um, putting, you know, Mike mentioned this just in time. Well, just in time works if the supply chain is is even and, and you can count on it through, you know, all the different spots. And I think what we found during the pandemic and then obviously different policies coming from China is that you might not be able to rely on that. And so moving forward, companies that can source closer to, to where their products are, are consumed, companies are starting to decide to, to maybe make those investments and, and, and make those changes. And in terms of China, from a stock trader's perspective, from a stock perspective, it is difficult to invest in that region right now when the policies seem very uncertain. Um, they don't seem consistent uh, right now. You know, China is about growth and it's about zero COVID. And both of those are sometimes contradictory, um, you know, messages. And so you don't know day to day what message is going to carry the most weight. So right now, I think it's very hard to to, to go into China and invest um, in, in that region with confidence. That may change o- o- over the course of the next few months. Uh, but right now, it's one of the big reasons why we're underweight is there's just a there's a mixed message on policy between what the government wants to do with growth 
and what they want to do with stamping out inflation or stamping out uh, COVID. Well, Donna, just-in-time delivery, that's also my strategy whenever anyone asks me to write something. I, I make sure I get it in just-in-time. I can vouch for this. This is true. Yeah. You don't want to get it in too early, then they have too much yeah. time to mess with it. So give them, get it to them right. If the deadline's 4 o'clock, get it to them yeah. at 3, I, I know this of you. Yeah. Yeah. Build the self. I'll do that. Build the self. No, no early time for uh, putting in writing. There's, there are, there are. I'm going to write a book about the benefits of procrastination. There are many, many. That's that's a topic for a future podcast. But yeah, you know, Anthony, the other big elephant in the room is you know we've got uh, Treasury yields perking up again. Ten uh, year yield in the U.S. popping above three percent uh, again this week. You know the the, the self and Treasuries kind of you know, seem to make a U-turn or at least slow down after we got above 3% in the 10 year before. What, how are you thinking about bonds? Is it, you know, is it more attractive to, to allocate maybe a bigger than your, your typical 40% or whatever your target uh, allocation is to, to treasuries when we've got a 3% yield? I know on a, I know on an inflation uh, adjusted real rate basis, it's still deeply underwater with an, an inflation at 8%, but you know, assuming the Fed gets it back there by hell or high water closer to the target is, is this uh, something on clients' minds? Is it, is it something, you know, are, are bonds a bargain again for once? Yeah, I'm telling you, you're, it's like you read our Global Asset Allocation Committee's mind because we're having the same discussions <laughs> about fixed income right now with a, with a 10-year at or, or above for- Three um, percent—that's a pretty attractive yield. I mean, think about it. We've, we've been in an environment, you know, that there is no alternative to, to equities, and now maybe there is an alternative to, to equities. And so we've been, as a committee, as a, as a global asset allocation committee, we've been the most underweight fixed income we've been ever uh, over the last probably. 12 months or so. And so now we're starting to have conversations with the yield moving up. Is this a time to start rebuilding that fixed income base? And you mentioned the 60-40 portfolio. Um, I, I think you do want to start considering looking at bonds as a longer term ballast in your portfolio. That hasn't really worked this year. Um, stocks and bonds have been correlated at the same time as, in, as interest rates have been moving higher. However, I do think we're approaching the higher end of the 10-year right now. We could go a little bit higher, um, but I do think inflation is going to moderate lower through the course of the year. I do think the Fed is going to be able to slow the pace of of their rate increases. And I think the 10-year will find a new equilibrium somewhere around 3%. Could be a little bit higher, could be a little bit lower, which means if you're underweight bonds right now, you may want to lock in some of these yields. You may want to lock in. I would keep the quality high. I would look at it if you were underweight government bonds right now. Maybe you look at some of the treasuries. Maybe you look at tips to, to kind of help uh, with inflation. You still want to look at high quality corporate bonds because you know they got a little bit of a spread on, on top of those treasuries. And you know I think default rates are going to be pretty low for for investment grade uh, credit. And so. Yeah, I think this is the time you, if you're underweight and you've been avoiding bonds, you at least want to start putting the shopping list together and you still want, you want to have strategy for maybe getting back to a neutral stance. Maybe it's a little bit early, but you want to start thinking about that right now with these yields. High, high yield still a little dicey uh, at this point? Yeah, I, you know, I mean, I, I like we have allocations to high yield. Um you know, we're underweight those areas just because we want to be a little bit more conservative around our allocations. Um, but I, I do think, you know, we'll have to see. I mean, I, I know a lot of companies were able to extend their their credit um, and, you know, they haven't had to go back to the funding markets because they've locked in some of these lower yields. We'll see. When those debt, when those debt instruments come up, if they can go get the financing, I think it's a tougher environment right now. So I would rather just hang out in investment grade and, and wait for that smoke to clear. And you mentioned a few times that there's some areas of interest to you. So I wanted to ask you what you're telling clients who do want to put money to work. Yeah, great, great question. Um, you know, I, I think with inequity, you want to do a couple things. Um, I, I think you want to look 
And this is across the spectrum. So sectors, regions, it doesn't really matter. Um, you want to make sure that the investments that you're buying are high in quality. So you want to make sure that the stocks or funds that you're you're investing in are focused on companies that have visible profit streams. Um, they have clean balance sheets. Um, they have strong cash flow. They have definable products and industries that they can um, you know kind of count on in an uncertain environment. Um, and I think a dividend yield uh, is is an extra bonus, right? When when returns are compressed. Or when the, the the market is in a downtrend, that yield becomes a greater part of your total return. So you want to make you want to focus right now on companies that are either growing their dividend or have a reasonably stable dividend that you don't have to worry about. Um, I think if you want to go a little bit further, um, I do think opportunities are being created in high quality technology. So where we've seen a lot of uh, valuation destruction has been in high growth, tech, consumer discretion, and those names I mentioned before that they're, they're, their valuations are based on earnings in the future. Um, I think a lot of damage has been done in those areas. And so I would look to things like information technology and in those quality companies within that sector as an area to start at least opportunistically buying, either dollar cost averaging into what you own, uh, rebalancing portfolios and maybe using that as an opportunity to pick up some of those areas. But that's where I would be focused. High quality companies across sectors and regions, dividend, big time plus. And then um, I think there's some opportunities being created in technology. And then lastly, um, healthcare is, is one of the sectors that we're overweight right now because it can act defensively. Um, because it has value-based companies in there that pay good dividends. And it also has some growth components like biotech that have been really hammered recently. So it acts as this defensive slash growth sector. And so it's not as expensive as consumer staples and utilities, but it also gives you a, a growth component in there. And so those are the, the sectors that we that we like right now. Yeah, it's been fascinating to see sort of the shuffling of the components of the growth and value indexes. Now, you know, you've got like a lot of energy companies in the growth indexes, which uh, uh, you know seem seems seems surprising uh, based on history. But good stuff, Anthony. Well done. I got to give Anthony props because uh, if listeners don't know, we record this over Zoom, and I'm looking over his shoulder, and he does have Bloomberg TV on his TV. Behind him, not some soap. Not he could be watching some yeah, soap opera. Could have been. You know, <laughs> it's on. It's on here every day, Mike. It's on right. every day. I'll take your word for it. Right, right. Markets have been pretty dramatic, so you know maybe we're getting some of those soap opera uh, uh, viewers <laughs> to, to, to change the channel. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. You know success when you see it, or you think you do. The people in the spotlight, athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. 
Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Appreciate your insights, Anthony. Uh, but now comes the real test. We're going to switch gears to the craziest things we saw in markets this week. So uh, this is where you'll, you'll really be graded on on uh the the value of your crazy thing Valdada, how about you what's the craziest thing okay my craziest thing actually might make you a little bit depressed i think i started <clears throat> i've been depressed ever since i realized you yes, shut me out I, of your yes, professional yes, yes, network the LinkedIn on linkedin thing again. but my craziest yeah so now i'm my, even my more craziest depressed thing now. will you, make Valdada. you depressed i think because it has to do with the podcasting world so it turns out there's this whole slew of white noise podcasts i don't know if you saw this story <laughs> saw but that, yeah. you know they sort of have mysterious backgrounds um there's this great uh bloomberg story about this and even like trying to reach out to some of these companies has been really hard because you don't know who the you know you don't know who's running them etc cetera, etc cetera. but there is this one guy who I, I believe he was living in the florida keys maybe and Basically, he started putting out white noise podcasts and so many people are listening to them that he's actually making $18,000 a month just from streams of his white noise podcast. So he's getting something like, I think the story said 50,000 listeners per day for white for, noise. For white noise for 18000 a month. I don't know, Vildana. You should have brought this up. They're going to yeah, replace they might. us with I white mean, noise it now. Might get more listeners. You know, <laughs> it, it, it probably, it probably would. Maybe if we talk really quietly, we we can be like a you know the white. We can noise have a thirty-minute moment podcast. of silence or something every 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 week. So <laughs> <laughs> 30, thirty minute. Well, that is a true Florida man story. If if I've ever ever heard of one, well, kudos to him. Hey, he he, he figured it out. Maybe white noise will join my professional uh, network on LinkedIn. Uh, good luck. If I, uh, yeah, probably not. Probably not. How about you, Anthony? You see anything crazy this week? Uh, yeah, yeah. Mine, mine's not as interesting. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, earnings estimates have actually gone up for the S and P five hundred this year. I, I think that is crazy given a lot of the news items that we're seeing from companies right now over the last week or so. So the fact that earnings estimates, you know, popped a, a little bit higher over the last week tells me analysts haven't fully kind of uh, reset to, to this new, uh, this new paradigm. And so that that's, to me, that, that just doesn't make sense right now. And I think that's why we're going to see over the next couple of weeks, analysts have to bring in those earnings estimates. Yeah, it is. It is pretty amazing. And I haven't I haven't dug into the data too deeply. But, you know, when you see these repeated cuts from the, the likes of Target and whatnot, I wonder if there's just so many companies pulling their guidance. You know, you always kind of I'm always kind of skeptical that analysts are sort of, you know, following the, the outlooks from the companies themselves. But may, maybe there's just so many being pulled or, or so much uncertainty about it at all that, you know, better, better to keep them as is or raise. I don't know. I don't know. It's a fascinating yeah. thing though, given yeah. all the, all the macro doom and gloom that the they're generally up. late. I mean, an analysts are generally late yeah. to kind of play. So that, that's, and usually when you see a big downshift in the market, it takes about five or six weeks for analysts to kind of gauge that, you know, they, they might have to bring in their earnings. But just one quick point on this is that, you know, you would have thought they would have brought their their 
expectations in in the first quarter as companies were, were kind of communicate, starting to communicate that there were some issues. All they did was just push out their numbers into Q3 and Q4. So they kept their overall numbers the same, uh, but just pushed it out where you would get uh, the earnings growth in later quarters. They're running out of real estate in my in my view. Yeah, right. I believe in just-in-time uh, estimates. Maybe that's it. I, I, I give my uh, S&P target on, on December 31st, uh, around 3 o'clock. That's my oh, year. 3.59. Yeah, if I uh, could get paid to do that, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, it is a head scratcher, though. I agree. So that's, that's, that's crazy enough. We'll, we'll, uh, well done, Anthony. I'll uh, All right. out. All right. I'm gonna, I want to talk about the most expensive automobile that's ever sold. Uh, this is a, a great story by our, our own columnist, Hannah Elliott. Um, I will admit I'm a little late on this. This the sale occurred in May, but she wrote a story just this past week about it. So first I'm hearing about it. And her story is interesting because it's, it's all about the difficulties of insuring the world's most uh, expensive car. Uh, because you know carriers are very reluctant to to uh, be the one to insure it. So it's a 1955 Mercedes Benz 300 SLR Uhlenhalt Coupe. Not sure if I'm saying that right, but uh, 1955 Mercedes Benz 300 SLR Uhlenhalt Coupe. Whether or not I'm saying that correct. And Anthony, I regret to inform you that you are now a contestant on The Price is Right, <laughs> along with Vildana. And I need your best guess on what this car sold for. One of two still in existence. Uh, the other one belongs to the Mercedes-Benz Museum. This one was actually sold at the museum. I'm not sure if they, they owned it or not, but Vildana, you start. I, o- I always have to go Most first. Car- oh, no. I, I know so little about yeah, cars. I know. We have to give the the guests the uh, the courtesy of 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 bidding one dollar if you go high. Yeah, I'm really bad at this. I'm I'm I I'm bad at this game, and I know so little about cars. So I'm gonna go. You're not bad at it. You you've got them on the nose a few times. Yeah, Come on. I know, but like three out of ten times. So um, okay, I'm gonna go with five hundred thousand dollars. Five hundred thousand dollars. You believe the mo- world's most expensive car. Is a five hundred thousand dollar automobile. A, okay, a one okay, of two. Okay. Can I? Can I revise? Oh, no, seven hundred fifty. Nine hundred nine. Your bid is in the order book at five hundred thousand. Anthony, what is that? Is that her official? Uh, All right, we'll give her one more chance. Give her one more chance. Oh, really? You know, I could be. Tr- you know, I could be tricking you too. I don't. I don't know. I'll but. go with nine hundred ninety nine thousand. Nine hundred and ninety nine thousand. Uh, Anthony, a 1955, so how many, that's 65-year-old car, something like that. Don't check my math. Mercedes-Benz 300 SLR Uhlenhaut Coupe. I will say it's a beautiful car. I'm not a big car guy, but this thing is, is quite beautiful. It's got the wing doors that open on the side, very chromey. What do you think, uh, Anthony? Um- yeah, so there's only two of these cars in, yep. in existence, and this is the most expensive car in the world. It was most ex- expensive car sold at auction in the world. I imagine Elon probably has a a car that you can orbit space with that maybe worth yeah. more, but we don't know about that. But but one million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> that's how you play the game, though. That's why. That's how you play the game. One hundred and forty-two million dollars. What? Amazing! Oh, yeah. oh my god! But but uh, my favorite part is is the struggle to get insurance for it, and they estimate they 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 can't find anyone in the insurance world to actually give a quote <laughs> for the insurance <laughs> on this on this thing. But um, one person said at least a hundred thousand a year for a car of that. You know, it depends. Wait, what's what's the deductible on a hundred and forty-two million dollar car? I don't know. They said, "Wow, yes, that's, yes. that's incredible. Wow, that's amazing, isn't it?" Mm. And uh, let's see, the previous one was some kind of Ferrari. I think it was a. Uh, let's see, she's got it in here. It was uh, a two fifty GTO Ferrari, but less than one hundred forty-two thousand. So, wow! If there are any insurance brokers out there willing to write a policy for a $142 million car. I got to say, my dad was an insurance guy. 
he'd be having nightmares about this, I think. <laughs> I, I don't think he'd go anywhere near it. <laughs> anyway, I think that is all the time we have. Anthony, great to catch up with you. Uh, enjoyed your insights, and uh, hopefully we can talk again soon. Thank you for joining us. Great. Thank you. What Goes Up will be back next week. Until then, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal website and app or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love it if you took the time to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts so more listeners can find us. And you can find us on Twitter. Follow me at Reganonymous. Vildana Heyrich is at Vildana Heyrich. You can also follow Bloomberg Podcasts at Podcasts. What Goes Up is produced by Stacey Wong. The head of Bloomberg Podcast is Francesca Levy. Thanks for listening. See you next time. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight, athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum, powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CarterEconomicForum.com.